trying to come in and out of this Facebook Live message. It's a little early, I know. Typically, we do these at uh, at 4 instead of at 2, but I appreciate everyone being willing to kind of help me out today and make this go a little bit earlier. If you're uh, tuning in at 4, then you're watching this on a recorded spot, which is A-OK. -okay. Nothing wrong with that either. Uh, hopefully, we'll get a few that will be able to say hello, and hopefully you'll be uh, let me know that you're uh, watching, just as Joe and Lenny Aller just did. Nice to see you guys. Glad you're here. And uh, I know we'll have some others going along uh, as well. Um, you'll notice the shirt. If you uh, don't know what that is, it's probably because you're really good at video games now. Uh, this is Pac-Man shirt, of course. And this is for my friend um, Doug Sifford from our Oklahoma Christian College days back in the 70s. And this is pretty much the last uh, video game I could do. Maybe Super Mario Brothers, but uh, Pac-Man it was. Hello, Sheila. Glad you're joining us today as well. Um, I, uh, I remember when we were at Oklahoma Christian, it was the game Pong. P-O-N-G. That was it. And that was pretty, pretty exciting. Uh, so... Um, and so this is Pac-Man. This is for my friend Doug. And uh, yes, uh, I uh, I would get killed ultimately by the ghosts. But uh, for a while, it always worked uh, really good. All of that being said, we're moving along in our study of Matthew. I will possibly say something later about this as well. But uh, uh, we're going to finish the book of Matthew next week, uh, looking at the crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus and then it'll be June, and I'm thinking that I'm going to go ahead and keep doing these in June. I hope that you're okay with that. I appreciate the response that a lot of folks have, have given me. Uh, there's my friend, Tressa Bueller. Great to see you and Brother Lonnie from right here in Tyler, Texas. But I do think I'll continue these, obviously a different subject. And right now I'm looking at uh, going through the Book of Acts in uh, the summer. And so maybe that'll give you the opportunity to in invite a few folks to come along. Obviously, we'll be able to uh, do that in a little bit uh, easier without having to cover uh, two or three chapters at a time, like we've been doing in Matthew. Uh, and so coming up this summer, if I do Acts, then we'll have uh, Tuesday, Thursday studies still. Uh, keep it at four o'clock, more than likely. And if you have any suggestions about that, I'd love to hear them. Uh, you can do that in the comments if you like. But uh, I would like to be able to uh, continue on and do these studies. We could cover those 28 chapters of the book of Acts uh, in the summer, uh, two times a week, and be able to uh, uh, take our time as we go through it uh, to, a, to some extent. Um, and so today we're looking at uh, Matthew 23, 24, and 25, if possible. Uh, my friend and brother Myron Bruce is uh, taking part in this as well. I really wish that uh, we could do some interacting uh, on this, but it's uh, Facebook Live, so you see me, uh, I see me, I I see your names, and I see your comments, uh, but that's about all I get to do, and so I wish that we could have some interaction. That would be uh, that would be great. Um, yeah, the uh, subject uh, this coming uh, summer would be uh, the Book of Acts. Right now, we've been doing uh, the Book of Matthew and finishing up this week and next week. Uh, Dr. Lynn Anderson uh, has signed in as well. Um, boy, what a what a blessing you are, uh, brother, and continue to be. Uh, so many wonderful memories uh, of you and your work and your ministry to me personally and to so many other ministers, and that continues even uh, today. So God bless you, uh, my friend and brother. 
Um, so Matthew, Matthew, let's get into it, shall we? Bill's uh, got quite a, um, uh, quite a bold goal today. Uh, the goal is to get through Matthew 23, 24, and 25, which is kind of interesting because there's not any real difficult subjects in there, you know, nothing like the second coming of Christ or the destruction of Jerusalem or hypocrisy in ministry or anything like that. Nothing, not, none of those really big, big, big themes and, and complicated subjects. So I figure we can do this and why not? Why not? So we'll do a lot of reading and it's in Matthew 23, 24, and 25, uh, starting in chapter 23. In Matthew 23, uh, it is a it is a strong, uh, strong passage. Anyone who thinks that Jesus was just this kind of mealy-mouthed, uh, kind of weak uh, person that really didn't confront anybody, really didn't try to challenge anybody's way of thinking or how they were living, uh, has never read Matthew 23. Uh, if they feel like the disciples are, are supposed to be that way, then they really haven't read uh, the book of Acts. And that's what we'll look at this summer. But I do want us to get started because in Matthew 23, it kind of starts out the way that uh, Matthew 6 starts out in the Sermon on the Mount with Jesus uh, challenging all of us who are worshiping uh, by reminding us that motives matter and uh, what we do matters uh, and not just what we say. Um, so these words in, uh, in Matthew 23, remember in Matthew 6, he's talking about worship. He's talking about our praying and our giving and our fasting. And he says, if you're doing it just to be seen by other people, then you have your reward and there's not much to it. But if you're doing it to honor God, then that's different. Here in Matthew 23, he confronts the religious leaders of his day in first century Palestine uh, because he tells them, you're not doing this to follow God. You're not doing this to serve others. You're doing this simply for your own benefit um, and it's not working. And not only are you doing it for your own benefit, you're doing it in a way, not just a selfish way, but a way that actually harms other people. And uh, uh, church was never meant to do that. Following God, the people of God were never meant to do that, but we were meant to do this so that we could uh, serve the Lord and by serving the Lord, serve others. Um, and so here we go with Matthew 23 and some uh, um, woes in just a little bit. But first about hypocrisy. Then Jesus said to the crowds and to his disciples, the teachers of the law or scribes, and the Pharisees sit in Moses' seat. So you must be careful to do everything they tell you, but do not do what they do, for they do not practice what they preach. What a horrible commentary on any kind of leadership, really, but especially church leadership, uh, especially the leaders of the people of God. We're called to be, um, to be followers of Jesus, but servant leaders of others so that people can not just listen to us, but can look at us and see our lives and, and, and allow that to help them uh, serve and follow God themselves. We must practice what we preach. Verse four, they tie up heavy, cumbersome loads and pull, put them on other people's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to lift a finger to move them. Everything they do is done for people to see. They make their phylacteries wide and the tassels on their garments long. They love the place of honor at banquets and the most important seats in the synagogues. They love to be greeted with respect in the marketplaces and to be called rabbi by others. But you are not to be called rabbi, for you have one teacher and you are all brothers. And do not call anyone on earth father, for you have one father and he is in heaven. Nor are you to be called instructors, for you, are one, you have one instructor, the Messiah. The greatest among you will be your servant, for those who exalt themselves will be humbled, 
and those who humble themselves will be exalted. And of course, that last verse could be a commentary on this whole chapter, really these, all three of these chapters, as Jesus speaks to the leaders of the people of God and, and calls them out for their uh, hypocrisy. Uh, they would wear those phylacteries. They would put symbols on their heads or on their garments that basically were signs that were displays of their pride of how they would work hard to learn scripture and memorize scripture. And again, we're reminded of Matthew 6. Those may be very good things, uh, but they're not good things if we're doing them just so that others will see us and say how wonderful we are and how spiritual we are and how much we know about the Bible. Uh, we need to study and we need to memorize and we need to uh, consider the great teaching of Scripture, uh, be, but we don't need to take pride in that. Uh, no matter how much we do, no matter how much time we spend on it, uh, and, and yet that, they, weren't, they were all about that part of it. And so Jesus calls them down on it, and I think that helps us to understand the rest of what he says, because we understand that some are called rabbi, some are called teacher, some are called instructor, some are even called father. And again, I think it's a, it's a prideful way. We, in Churches of Christ, we don't call the minister by some special uh, name. Um, we, we call them by their first name or, or perhaps brother so-and-so, or we call others uh, sister so-and-so, or we call each other uh, by our, our first name or Mr. or Mrs. or Ms. Or all of those things are terms of respect, and that's, and that's fine. But if we're taking titles simply... Uh, to honor ourselves and simply to toot our own horn, then Jesus is 100% against it. And that's what he's calling out here uh, in this passage. Uh, and so if you uh, feel a little nervous because you call your dad father, it's okay. It's okay. If you feel a little nervous because you call others instructors because they instruct you in the way of the Lord, that's okay. But if it's a term that honors somebody other than God as God, uh, then that's then that's wrong. And so I think, I think it can be used in a prideful way, and I think we have to be very careful. And I'm glad I'm in a tradition that, that doesn't call me Father Bill. Uh, but there are some who through the years have, uh, have tried to show respect in a way that uh, honors me and, and their mind, but that does not dishonor God and does not honor me in an unhealthy way. Uh, I love this uh, saying, um, I, I, Someone has said years ago, and I don't know who said it. it could have been Lynn Anderson who was watching earlier. I don't know. Um, but it was one of those statements that I thought was really, really true. And what, it's, what the statement was this, every preacher needs a few people around him who are just not all that impressed with him. <laughs> I love that. <clears throat> Thankfully, I've always had a few of those. Uh, I've always had a few of those. And for the most part, they've been some of my best friends. And so I think it's Jesus is talking about being accountable to God and being having humility rather than hypocrisy. Um, and so then we get to those woes, this pronouncement of woe. It's a, it's a curse. You know, Jesus talked in the Beatitudes about blessed are those who do this or that um, and the reason why. Uh, Luke, as he talks about his Beatitudes in Luke 6, as he uh, relates the Beatitudes from Jesus and his gospel. He includes woes, not just blessed are those. He uses third person instead of first like Matthew does or second, but rather uh, he also provides uh, a woe if you are not doing the things that God wants you to do. Um, Jesus does that too. And as we read through these things, I want us to just kind of think about it as we go um, from this perspective. Who is he, who is he railing against? 
and he's railing against the religious leaders of his day. Uh, and why? What were they doing? Uh, that's, a, that's a really good question. And then the other good question is, what about me? What about us? Uh, how do we uh, relate uh, to this? Um, and so as we get started, we're in Matthew 23, beginning in verse 13. Some of you are just now joining us, our dear, dear friend and sister, Lisa Snell, wonderful servant, uh, wonderful uh, Christian woman here uh, in town. God bless you. Married to Danny for all these years. Wow, man, that's amazing, amazing. And also Joyce's aunt, Joycey, uh, my aunt Joycey that lives in Sherman. It's so wonderful to see your name pop up. She is, uh, she is a, real, uh, a real blessing. Uh, to us. Matthew 23, beginning in verse 13. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites! You shut the door of the kingdom of heaven in people's faces. You yourselves do not enter, nor will you let those enter who are trying to. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites! You travel over land and sea to win a single convert, and when you've succeeded, you make them twice as much a child of hell as you are. Stern warnings, that just gives you a little bit of a taste of how this is going to go. Uh, Jesus is not holding back. I think in pre previous passages, we read something like, my hour has not yet come in the Gospel of John, or my time has not yet come. Um, and here, Jesus is giving it to them with both barrels. And uh, ultimately, they will have had enough, and they will uh, agree to pay Judas Iscariot, one of his disciples, 30 pieces of silver, so that he can tell them a good, quiet place where they'll be alone and there won't be a crowd and they can arrest him. And it's because of these kinds of things. I think Jesus gives us a good reminder of evangelism here. Evangelism cannot be manipulation. Evangelism cannot be something where we're just trying to convert them over to me uh, or even to my way of thinking. Uh, but rather, we're trying to convert them over to the God who loves them and the Savior who died for them. Um, and I think if we're doing that, then we're on the right path. Uh, it, begins with, um, it begins with humility. And then it continues on, not just with our words, as Jesus has already shared, but with our actions as well. Uh, let people see your deeds, Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount. Let your light shine so that others can see your good deeds in Matthew 5 and glorify your Father who is in heaven. Okay, the hits keep going. Verse 16 of Matthew 23. Woe to you blind guides. You say if anyone swears by the temple, it means nothing. But anyone who swears by the gold of the temple is bound by the oath. So they're swearing by the, what is valuable to them. And it's not God. You blind fools, which is greater, the gold or the temple that makes the gold sacred? You also say if anyone swears by the altar, it means nothing, but anyone who swears by the gift on the altar is bound by their oath. You blind men, which is greater, the gift or the altar that makes the gift sacred? And we see where this is going. Their, their value, the way they measure value is by material things and how much money this is worth. And that's why they would measure those things and, and say, if you're gonna swear by something, swear by this. Don't swear by the altar, swear by the gift on the altar because that's what costs money. Um, that's not the value that Jesus holds. It's not the value that God has and it's not the value that we should have either. Um, and he's shown us that throughout uh, this gospel Matthew has. Therefore, verse 20, if anyone, anyone who swears by the altar swears by it and by everything on it. See, that's how it goes. Um, you include the altar, then everything is included. 
Um, anyone who swears by the temple swears by it and by the one who dwells in it. And so earlier he had said, let your yes be yes and your no be no. Don't worry about taking vows. Don't worry about, uh, you should be a person of your word anyway to begin with. But then Jesus shares this and he says, look, what, what do you really value? Is it God or is it material things like the rich young ruler we read about? And anyone who swears by heaven, verse 22, swears by God's throne and by the one who sits on it. Verse 23, woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You give a tenth of your spices, mint, dill, and cumin, but you have neglected the more important matters of the law, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. You should have practiced the latter without neglecting the former. You blind guides, you strain out a gnat, but swallow a camel. There are, there are important things in the law and in God's word. Jesus talks about the two great commandments to love God and to love neighbor as self. Hosea said in Hosea 6, and Jesus has quoted him in this gospel. Uh, I desire mercy, not sacrifice. And just as he says here, it doesn't mean sacrifice isn't important and that it doesn't have its, its place. It does, and it is. But what he's saying is don't give up mercy for the sake of sacrifice. Uh, don't give up these uh, worship activities that you're so sold on and find so important at the cost of justice and mercy and faithfulness. And he calls on us to consider that the same way today as we consider our own worship activities. Again, Matthew 6, don't do your praying and your fasting and your giving simply to be seen by others. Let that be a part of your heart and, and it be seen in your life. And that's what he's saying here uh, as well. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites, verse 25. You clean the outside of the cup and dish, but inside they're full of greed and self-indulgence. Blind Pharisee, first clean the inside of the cup and dish, and then the outside also will be clean. And he continues that thought in verse 27. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You're like whitewashed tombs, which look beautiful on the outside, but on the inside are full of the bones of the dead and everything unclean. In the same way, on the outside, you appear to people as righteous, but on the inside, you're full of hypocrisy and wickedness. It's what's on the inside that counts. The outside counts too, just as he said, don't give up one for the sake of the other. So we try to do what's right, but the motive of the heart is also important and significant. And that's what the Pharisees didn't do. They didn't do what they were saying. They didn't practice what they preached. And inside was the reason why. They were just like a cemetery, which looks beautiful, so well manicured, so taken care of as you drive by it or walk through it. But who would want to dig up those dead bodies? Jesus says that's how these people's hearts were. And we have to, again, caution ourselves to make sure that as we put importance on the things that we do and the things that we say, which are important, that we don't neglect the condition of our heart uh, as well. So verse 29, Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites! You build tombs for the prophets and decorate the graves of the righteous, and you say, if we had lived in the days of our ancestors, we would not have taken part with them in shedding the blood of the prophets. And so Jesus turns their own words on them, verse 31. So you testify against yourselves, that you're the descendants of those who murdered the prophets. Go ahead then and complete what your ancestors started. And he's going to say more about that. Verse 33, you snakes, you brood of vipers, how will you escape being condemned to hell? 
Therefore, I'm sending you prophets and sages and teachers. Some of them you will kill and crucify, just as your ancestors did, he might say. Others you will flog in your synagogues and pursue from town to town. And he's talking about his disciples, actually. And so upon you will come all the righteous blood that has been shed on earth, from the blood of righteous Abel to the blood of Zechariah, son of Berechiah, whom you murdered between the temple and the altar. Truly, I tell you, all this will come on this generation. Of course, we're familiar with the story of Cain and Abel, uh, the sons of Adam and Eve. Cain was jealous because his brother Abel uh, had a sacrifice and a worship and a heart that was accepted to God and Cain's was not. And so he killed him. Didn't take long for that to happen in the history of humanity, did it? And so um, um, Jesus puts him on one end and then puts this uh, uh, Zechariah son of Berechiah on the other end. Not the prophet of Zechariah who was, or the prophet Zechariah who was a contemporary of Haggai and lived probably around 500 BC or so, around the time of the exile when the Israelites had returned and under Zerubbabel and others, they were rebuilding the temple. That was a different Zechariah. This Zechariah was uh, described by one uh, who was a priest, and he was the son uh, of Jehoahaz, and, and who was a very faithful uh, uh, priest, or Jehoiakim, rather, in the days of Jehoahaz. And, and ultimately, uh, Jehoiakim, the priest, died, and uh, his son, Zechariah, challenged the king because the king stopped listening to the word of God and began to uh, worship idols and images and all of those things. And because Zechariah challenged him on it, this faithful prophet, this faithful priest, uh, he was killed. He was killed. That's the one that this is talking about. Why would it be here? Well, from what I understand, it was written in the book of Second Chronicles. And in the Hebrew Bible, Second Chronicles appears towards the end. So uh, I'll let you figure that one out on your own. Um, and then this last cry for Jerusalem, beginning in verse 37 of Matthew 23. Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who kill the prophets and stone those sent to you, how often I have longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, and you were not willing. Look, your house is left to you desolate, for I tell you, you will not see me again until you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. We hear Jesus' heart breaking here as he cries out to Jerusalem, the the city of David, the, the capital of the people of God for all of those years here on this earth where the temple of Solomon was um, and had been destroyed and then had been rebuilt and now was uh, having uh, upgrades still in the days of Herod. Um, Jesus says, uh, oh, I, how much I wanted to call you to myself and yet you were unwilling. He still feels that way today. He still wants us uh, to come to him. And so then this very interesting and uh, difficult Matthew chapter 24, I think one, it can be described in one word, and that word is watch. Not the kind of watch that we used to wear around our wrist. I'm not sure that very many people wear those anymore. I do on Sundays. It still doesn't help me keep my sermons short, but it's a, worth a shot anyway. Uh, but rather the verb, Jesus says to watch. Watch for my coming. Watch for the difficulties of the things that are going to happen uh, in the next few decades, really, uh, that Jesus speaks about. And as we read Matthew 24, we're reminded of the, of the other passages that are similar in Mark 13 and in Luke 21. 
And as we read these passages, very difficult uh, to apply and very difficult to understand exactly how Jesus is saying this. It was probably hard for them in the first century, much less for us even today. But I do think that those who say that part of the, what Jesus is saying is relating to the events of AD 70, when the Romans came in and destroyed uh, the, uh, the temple uh, that had been rebuilt uh, there in Jerusalem, I think a part of what he's talking about, in fact, a lot of what he's talking about is that. But then there are other parts where Jesus seems to point to a single day, not at times or the days, but rather the, the coming. And it's, it, again, it's hard, to, it's hard to make these judgments, but I think there are some things in this passage, mostly towards the end of the chapter, that speak about that day. Uh, but as he begins, I think he's talking about warning them about the coming destruction of Jerusalem at the hands of of the Romans. Um, and so, Matthew 24, Jesus left the temple and was walking away when his disciples came up to him to call his attention to its buildings. Do you see all these things? Jesus asked. Truly, I tell you, not one stone will be left on another. Everyone will be thrown down. And so already an indication that uh, he's talking about something physical because uh, this is a physical building. Um, okay, verse three, as Jesus was sitting on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately. Tell us, they said, when will this happen and what will be the sign of your coming and the end of the age? Those are the questions we want to ask, right? When, 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 what are the signs? What are the signs? And I want to challenge that. And as we read through this, and we may skip over some of it, but one of the things that I think is very important is that when is the wrong question. It doesn't matter when, if you're doing the what, if you're living the way you should live right now, then when these things will happen is immaterial because you'll be ready for them if they're today or if they're 10 years from now or if you never see them in your lifetime. And I think all of those are possibilities if you're talking about his second coming. Uh, people ask, what about all the things that you're seeing right now, Bill? Doesn't this, couldn't this mean that, that Jesus is coming again, that his coming is imminent and maybe... Maybe, but so could almost every generation and the difficulties they faced in the last 2,000 years. They could have all said that as well. We certainly have seen it in the history of our nation, which is a short history compared to the history of the world. So let's not get too caught up in the when, but let's ask ourselves, how am I living? What are the things that Jesus is calling me to do today? Let's focus on that. And then the rest of it will take care of itself. Uh, that gives you a little preview of where I stand on those things. Verse 4 of Matthew 24, Jesus answered, Watch out that no one deceives you. Boy, wouldn't it be great if he was here telling us that today. For many will come in my name claiming I'm the Messiah and will deceive many. You will hear of wars and rumors of wars, but see to it that you're not alarmed. Such things must happen, but the end is still to come. Nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines and earthquakes in various places. All these are the beginning of birth pains. People point to this chapter and they say, see, these are the signs of his coming. And I'm thinking that Jesus is saying, uh, and someone else has put it through the years, these are not signs, these are non-signs. These are signs that say, hey, the world continues on. These are signs of things that have always happened throughout every generation, and they're happening still. 
and they're sad and they're difficult and they're trying. Yes, living in a pandemic, living in the novel coronavirus days, is it hard? Sure, it's hard. Is it difficult? Yes. Have people lost their lives and had family members who have died? Yes, sadly to say. Has it devastated the economies of so much of the world? Well, in a, to a great degree, it has. Um, and all of that being said, those are things that are very real. And as Christians, we acknowledge that and we try to help where we can. But just because those things are happening today does not mean that the end of the world is near. Maybe Jesus will come before this message will be over. <laughs> that's entirely possible. Um, maybe Jesus will come before the guy that's outside my window right now finishes um, uh, using his uh, yard equipment. Well, that would be good too. <laughs> but maybe he won't come for another 2,000 years. We don't know. What we do know is that he has left us an instruction of how we should live and what we should be doing right now. So ask yourself, am I doing that? Am I living that way? And then the rest of this isn't gonna matter. Jesus says, you're gonna hear all kinds of claims. You're gonna see all kinds of things. Don't let it get to you. Uh, these are things that the world will always have. He says in John chapter 16, verse 33, in the world you'll have trouble. It's going to happen. Some of it you may bring on yourself. Some of it some evil person may, may cause in your behalf. Um, some of it is just because it's the way of the world. In, either way, God will see us through it. Um, so we continue on. In verse 9, you'll be handed over to be persecuted, put to death, and you'll be hated by all nations because of me. Just as we saw in Matthew chapter 10, for those who think that, oh, I'm a Christian, so nothing bad's gonna happen to me, or God just wants me to be happy, or those things, there's, there's nothing like that in scripture. What God wants is for you to be faithful. And what Jesus has assured us of is this, to be faithful means that we have to deny ourselves and be willing to sacrifice some things in our lives that we dearly love. Uh, and yet we know that they're not right or they're not best. And so we give them up for the cause of Christ. That's taking up our cross and following him. Jesus says some bad things may happen to you in this life, physically, emotionally, that will try your faith. Uh, and, and the reason they're happening to you is because of your faith. Um, and yet he has promised that he will see us through all of those difficult, difficult uh, times. At that time, verse 10, many will turn away from the faith and will betray and hate each other. Many false prophets will appear and deceive many people. Matthew 24, verse 12, because of the increase of wickedness, the love of most will grow cold. What a sad, sad statement. But the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. And I think that's the tenor of the rest of this part of Matthew 24 as Jesus continues on. Uh, verse 15, so when you see standing in the holy place the abomination that causes desolation, spoken of through the prophet Daniel, let the reader understand, and I'm sitting here reading that thinking, gee, I wish this reader could. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let no one on the housetop go down to take anything out of the house. Let no one in the field go back to get their cloak. How dreadful it will be in those days for pregnant women and nursing mothers. Pray that your flight will not take place in winter or on the Sabbath, for then there will be great distress, unequaled from the beginning of the world until now, and never to be equaled again. All of those things are indications to me that he's not talking about the end of the world. If he was talking about the end of the world, then why flee to the mountains? 
If he was talking about the end of the world, then why would it be difficult for pregnant women? If he was talking about the end, end of the world, why would you go up on your rooftop? It, it's not going to matter. That part's not going to matter. But if he's talking about a, an earthly struggle, a physical struggle, a, something similar to a battle, such as when the Romans attacked Jerusalem and defeated it and destroyed it, well, that is something where all of these things could be taken into consideration. Um, in the same way, verse 20, pray that your flight will not take place in winter or on the Sabbath. Those, those, that, that won't matter. When Jesus comes again, none of that will matter. Uh, he'll come, he'll appear. Uh, the dead in Christ will rise first. Uh, Paul tells us in 1 Thessalonians 4, and then those of us who are alive at his coming will uh, meet him in the air, meet them in the air, and so we'll forever be with the Lord. Um, but I don't think he's talking about that in this part, maybe later. Um, and so he goes on and he talks about uh, all of those things, and I, I won't have time to get into a lot of those things, but these words beginning in verse 26, if anyone tells you, there he is out in the wilderness, don't go out. Or here he is in the inner rooms. Do not believe it, for as lightning that comes from the east is visible even in the west, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. Wherever there is a carcass, there the vultures will gather. What a weird, uh, strange uh, uh, statement to make. Let me take a drink out of my <laughs> Whataburger cup. Mm. Those of you outside of Whataburger country, I am so, so sorry for you. Um, okay, wherever there is a carcass, there the vultures will gather. What? What? I think what Jesus is saying is everybody's going to know. Everybody's going to know. You don't need to be worrying about um, how this is going to go, what you're going to be looking like, what you're going to be dressed like, what, what your condition is going to be. It's going to happen. And when it does happen, you're going to know it. And so whether it's that attack that the Romans would bring or when Jesus comes again, Jesus says, look, there's a lot of false prophets out there. There's a lot of people that are um, uh, kind of like Chicken Little saying, the sky is falling, the sky is falling. What Jesus is telling us here is, look, the things that I'm talking to you about, they're big. They're really big. In just a moment, he's going to be talking about the biggest one of all, his, his return, I believe. And so he says, look, when these things happen, you'll know it. And, but if you trust in me, you're going to be okay. Immediately after the distress of those days, verse 29, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light. The stars will fall from the sky and the heavenly bodies will be shaken. What about that, Bill? Isn't that the end of the world? Well, not necessarily. That's apocalyptic language. Apocalypse, apocalyptic is a literary genre. We read it about it in Daniel that he's already mentioned. We read it using it in Revelation, uses it a lot. Some parts of Ezekiel. Um, what is apocalyptic? Well, it's very, very symbolic. It's very, very visual. I think if Revelation would be written right now, it would be written in, uh, with special effect and all the latest in technology uh, because you experience it. You see it. You feel it. Uh, you're not just, you don't just read it. Um, and so this passage talks about extraordinary things happening, the sun to darkness and the moon to blood, um, the, the clouds falling out of the sky. Uh, you say, well, Bill, doesn't that mean the end of the world? Well, not necessarily. Joel 2 talks about a day when that would happen. And then in Acts chapter 2 on the day of Pentecost, Peter says that's what's going on today with the beginning of the church and the giving of the Holy Spirit. And it was, it was such an extraordinary, amazing thing that this kind of language describes it. Um, it doesn't, it's not to be taken literally as you read through the Revelation 
you got to be careful about applying everything literally, and I think that's bad, uh, bad Bible study technique. Uh, but rather, we, we find in those messages and in this uh, message here, uh, th this is going to be an extraordinary time. It's going to be a difficult time. It's going to be an incredible time. And everybody's going to know it when it happens. Um, and so he continues on, and he speaks about uh, the fig tree uh, and how we are able to see it, uh, the signs of it beginning to bloom. Um, and, and yet we don't consider these signs. And so what's, what's Jesus saying? Remember, he had been asked by the religious leaders, show us a sign, show us a sign, and others uh, in his hometown. And he said, you know, I'm, I'll give you a sign, the sign of Jonah. Jonah, who was in the belly of the fish for three days and three nights. And, and Jesus says, destroy this temple, speaking of his body. And in three days, I'll raise it from the dead. Um, that's the sign that Jesus gives them. Oh, he did other signs and wonders, miracles in scripture. Those are always meant to attest to the things that the miracle worker is doing, to add credibility to their words, to help us in our faith to come to believe. Jesus himself says in John 20 to Thomas, who wanted to see the nail prints and want the nail holes and wanted to see the, the sword, uh, the hole in his side where the sword went through. Uh, to believe. Jesus says, well, I'm willing to do that for you, Thomas, if that's what you need, but how blessed are those who believe without having to see those things. We get to hear about them and read them in a very credible, credible way. Um, still faith, absolutely, uh, but it's not a blind faith. It's a credible faith. Uh, Jesus says that all these things are going to be happening, and then, and then he seems to take a turn in verse 36. Instead of talking about those days and these things and those times, he says this in verse 36 of Matthew 24, but about that day or hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven nor the son, but only the father. And yet here we are in 2020 with people trying to look at the signs and say, when is this all gonna happen? Is this when it happens? Jesus has told us it doesn't matter when it's gonna happen. What matters is that you're watching for it. What, happened, what matters is that you're living today so that if, if today is the day, it'll be okay. That'll be all right. That's what matters, Jesus says. And he says that even the son, while he was on this earth, Jesus said, I couldn't tell you. Um, and that's a difficult thing to understand with Jesus' superior, uh, supreme knowledge as the son of God and foreknowledge of events to come. Uh, maybe Jesus knows that now. Uh, in the post-resurrection, post-ascendant to the heavens, to the throne room of the Father uh, stage. I don't know. It doesn't matter to me. It really doesn't matter. What matters is what this word has called us to do and how it's called us to live. Because if I'm doing those things as best I can, not perfectly, but faithfully, and lean on the blood of Jesus to cleanse me of those areas where I fail, and that's spelled S-I-N, where we sin, then, then the rest is gonna be okay. Uh, if bad things happen today, it'll be hard and it'll be difficult and we wanna try to help. And we don't deny those things, uh, but we know that Jesus will see us through it. And if the Father says today's the day and he tells him to come, not only are we okay with that, what a great and wonderful, tremendous blessing that will be. Um, as it was in the days of Noah, Jesus says in verse 37, so it will be in the, come when the Son of Man comes, Noah preached for a long time, tried to get people in the boat with him, and it was just his family and the animals. But when that door was closed and the rain started, that was that. Jesus said, that's how it will be 
uh, when I come. Um, and, and, and so Jesus says, keep watch in verse 42, because you don't know on what day your Lord uh, will come. Um, folks read these verses and they read these stories and they ask, well, uh, what about the thousand years in Revelation 20? What about the rapture? What about uh, the, the millennium? All of those things. And again, those are fine studies to be involved in. And, and I think we need to do that. Not today, but we need to do that. We need to be willing to consider all those things. But what they're telling us is this is what uh, Jesus has called us to do. He's called us to trust in him and live faithfully to him today. And if today is the day, great. If it's 2,000 more years, great. It, it doesn't matter because I'm going to be found in the eyes of God to be uh, forgiven through the blood of Jesus and doing my part to honor that great gift of God's grace by living a life that is worthy, not a life that is perfect, not a life that earns or deserves salvation, but a life that is worthy of the life that was given for me. I believe that's what Jesus is trying to remind us of in these words and in this uh, passage. Um, and so keep watch. That's the statement in verse 42, because you don't know on what day your Lord will come. And I have to laugh because so many people spend so much time and energy and emotion and get all excited about trying to figure out exactly when. Jesus says, you don't know when. I don't know when. It doesn't matter when. And I can't help but wonder if for some, those questions and those journeys are are simply an effort to sidestep the real questions, which is, what are the things in my life that I need to change? Well, that's a lot harder question than to just have a fun theological discussion about the end of the world. You know, that's what Nicodemus wanted to do. In John 3, he came to Jesus and he said, you know, we know that you're from God. Boy, you do amazing things. I can't wait to talk to you for a few hours and let's just talk shop. And Jesus stops him and he says, Nicodemus, even you, you, unless you're born again of water and the spirit, you'll never enter the kingdom of heaven. That's what Jesus does. He stops us in our tracks. He says, oh yeah, that's an interesting discussion to have, but the one I want to have is what's in your heart. What's in your heart? He did that to the rich young ruler. Um, he did that to Nicodemus. He does that to us. He calls on us to consider those things. Verse four, you must be ready. Just like the man who might get a, a, a clue that his house is going to be broken into, uh, what's he going to do? He's going to be ready. He's going to be ready. And so Jesus says, look, you be ready because the son of man will come at an hour when you don't expect him. Verse 44. So what's he saying? Expect him at any time. Watch all the time. Be ready every day. Um, and then he tells some parables at the end of chapter 24 and in, in chapter 25. Who then is the faithful and wise servant whom the master has put in charge of the servants in his household to give them their food at the proper time? It will be good for that servant whose master finds him doing so when he returns. Well, wait, we want to interrupt Jesus and say, well, when is he going to return? And Jesus says, eh, wrong question. That doesn't matter. The one who is faithful is the one who is doing faithfully the things that God wants him or her to do when the master does return. Um, and if we're doing that, then the when question simply doesn't matter. Um, and so Jesus says that the ones who aren't ready are going to have a very bad, bad ending. 
And that brings us um, to Matthew 25. Um, and, you know, there are some things here that um, I do want to say a little bit about, um, about from Matthew 24's perspective. And a couple of scripture passages that I'm going to put on here, and you can chase them down and read them uh, later. One is 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 through 5. There, Timothy uh, is told to be on his guard against a lot of evil, evil people who share false doctrine and who practice selfish things and who are very hurtful to others. And as we read 2 Timothy 3, uh, verses 1 through 5, we're thinking, wow, that is, hey, he's talking about us. He's talking about today. This is, this is what's going on today. And yet at the end of that passage, uh, Paul tells Timothy, don't be a part of any of those kinds of people. And so do those things go on today? Are there people like that here in this world today? Yes, there are. And there were also people like that in the first century and in every generation since. Uh, are they signs of the end of the world? No. Could the end of the world be coming? Sure. Could it be waiting another 2,000 years? Sure. Sure. These are non-signs. These are the way people are. 2,000 years ago, Paul wrote Timothy and described exactly the same kinds of people and the same kinds of things that are going on today and told the young minister, Timothy, don't be a part of those people. Don't, don't go along with them. Don't, don't accept their teaching. Um, watch out for them. He tells us the same thing uh, today. We mentioned Acts 2 and Joel 2 earlier. Uh, in this. And then you look at some passages related to the Antichrist. You say, well, Bill, isn't, is it possible that, that the Antichrist is living today? Well, let's read our Bible, uh, shall we? Here are some passages that you can consider and read. 1 John 2, verses 18 through 22. 1 John 4, verses 1 through 3. And 2 John 7. Uh, one little chapter, but verse 7. You know what all of those verses say? They warn the church of the first century about Antichrist, but not a specific one. Anyone who is opposed to Christ, that's what the term literally means, anti-against Christ. Uh, John even gives us some specific definitions, the one who denies that Jesus came in the flesh. And there were some in his day that did just that, that he was just some spirit or even maybe just a, a almost a ghost kind of existence. To deny that Jesus came in the flesh or that Jesus was the Son of God is to be anti-Christ. And were there those, are there those around today? Well, sure. Were there those in the first century? Yes, yes. Have there been some like that in every generation? Well, yeah, yeah. Scripture warns against that. Scripture talks about uh, that. And you say, but Bill, what about the Revelation? Well, I, I really think that it describes some things that were going on uh, in the first few centuries that involved the church and Christians and the Jewish leaders and the Roman uh, uh, authorities. And basically, my favorite commentary on the book of Revelation is two words. We win. That's it. There's a lot of wonderful, beautiful, amazing, incredible, beautiful, apocalyptic language and images in there talking about a first beast and a second beast that goes along to, to uh, get everybody to worship the first beast, a beast out of the land, a beast out of the sea, a red dragon, uh, a woman that's having a baby and that's being chased by the dragon, all these things uh, in great imagery uh, to remind us of the rest of the teaching of Scripture that says God's got this. Doesn't mean it's not going to be hard sometimes. It was hard for Jesus it's hard for the first century church, and that's why it was written that way. 
Um, but God's going to be with us through it all. And I think that's what Matthew 24 and Mark 13 and Luke 21 are all saying uh, as well. And so please don't get lost in those things. Read the rest of your Bible. You know, the parts that tell us how to live, the parts that talk about loving God and being obedient to his will and his word, the part that tells us to love our neighbor as ourselves. Focus on those parts. Don't, get, don't let those parts get lost uh, because of all the other things uh, that are getting all the headlines right now. You see, what Jesus came and taught and did doesn't get very many headlines. It's not all that sensational to love the Lord, to be obedient, uh, to do his will, uh, to love your neighbor as yourself, to be willing to sacrifice yourself for the sake of others. That's not as cool as dragons and beasts and, and uh, different generations of, of leaders. Uh, is, is, is Trump the Antichrist? Is Hillary the Antichrist? Is Bush the Antichrist? Is Saddam Hussein the Antichrist? Is the Shah of Iran the Antichrist? Is Hitler the Antichrist? Just fill it in. Every generation has some that they'll point to. And the ones who are trying to divert attention of themselves away from what this book teaches them as far as how to live. They'd much rather talk about those things. I wanna talk about how we should live every day. And then whenever that day does come, I'll be fine with it. In Matthew 25, Jesus tells the same thing, the message of watch, watch. And my beautiful, wonderful, lovely wife, Joyce, is watching this lesson. Hi, honey, I'll be out in a minute. Um, Jesus says watch, but he not only tells us that specifically in Matthew 25, he tells us that in story form. And he tells us that in three different stories. And I won't read them uh, this time because they're very familiar stories. Uh, the first part of the chapter, verses 1 through 13, uh, talks about those 10 virgins that were waiting for the bridegroom to celebrate according to the culture of the first century Jews. And they were waiting for the wedding party and waiting and waiting and waiting and they never came. And, and there were some of those that had their lamps that were, they were all burning brightly, but because it was a long time, they began to, to wear out. They began to burn out. Some had brought extra oil. And I'm, I remember the song from our teenage days in the youth group at wonderful Lackland Terrace Church of Christ in San Antonio. Give me oil in my lamp. Keep me burning, burning, burning. I know that y'all wanted to remember that song. Um, I wrote a verse to that song, by the way. Give me gas for my Ford. Keep me driving for the Lord. Okay, back to Matthew 25. The, the, there were five that were wise, five that were foolish. The five had extra oil. And guess what Jesus says about them? They were ready. They were ready. That's the point. That's the point of all three uh, of all three of these chapters. Chapter 23, chapter 24, chapter 25 that we're looking at today. Live right. Don't Be sure that you practice what you preach in Matthew 23. In chapter 24, you know, when the time comes, if you're ready... If you're watching, it won't matter when. And now in chapter 25, the same story, but in story form, in parable form. And so this verse, in verse 13, as this story ends, therefore keep watch, Matthew 25, 13, because you don't know the day or the hour. Again, everyone wants to know the day or the hour. Jesus says, you're, you don't know it, you're not gonna know it. And guess what? If you're living faithfully, if you're watching, if you're ready, it won't matter. It won't matter. Let's talk about the things that matter, shall we? Another story, uh, the bags of gold or the talents. 
uh, in Matthew 25, beginning uh, in verse 14. Uh, he call, a man called his servants. Uh, one of them, he gave five bags of gold in the NIV, five talents. Another, he gave two and another one. And we know the story. And a talent in the, in the first century world, as, as these stories use it, is an is a amount of money and, and a lot of money. Uh, some have said that a talent is worth a year, like 20 years of a person's normal wage if they are a day laborer. Uh, that's a lot of money, even today. Think of 20 years of pay for anybody today. Uh, that's a lot of money. That's just one talent. One man, he gave five, one he gave two, and one he gave one. And he said, I want you to take care of this while I'm away. And then he left. And as you know the story, the man with five invested it, gained five more. The man with two invested it, gained two more. The man with one uh, just tried to hide it, tried to keep it safe, wasn't willing to take a risk. Uh, wasn't willing to try to do anything with it. And then when the master came back, he blessed the ones who had used the gifts that they had been given and had gained more. And he blessed them. But this man comes and he says, I knew you were a rough guy, a hard guy, a heartless guy, and I wasn't going to take a chance. And Jesus says, well, your own words condemn you. Uh, take his bag of gold away and give it to the one who has 10. And they say, but wait, he already has 10. And Jesus says, the one who has much, the one who's done well is gonna be given more. Um, but the one who's been unfaithful, even what they have uh, will be taken away. It's a stern word. It's a hard story uh, that doesn't go well with some, in some of our circles today. There's a lot of, in, of Jesus stories that don't really match up with how we do things in the world from a worldly perspective, but we're not talking about that. We're talking about life eternal, um, and it's a different uh, it, it's a different way when it's the way of the cross uh, rather than the way of uh, the world. And so we continue on in Matthew twenty five, and the last story that he tells, beginning in verse thirty one, is one of the great familiar parables of Jesus: the parable of the sheep and the goats. And it's such a, a wonderful, wonderful passage. And it talks about the end of the world and it talks about the standard of judgment. Uh, and so at the end of the world, the sheep he puts on one side, the goats on the other. And, and to the sheep, he says this in verse 34, come you who are blessed by my father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. I needed clothes and you clothed me. I was sick and you looked after me. I was in prison and you came to visit me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you that way? We didn't see you that way. Verse 40, the king will reply, truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. And as you know, as he goes to the other side, he condemns them and he says, I was in this condition and you did nothing. You did nothing. Like the priest and the Levite in the story of the Good Samaritan, you walked by on the other side. You didn't try to help. And they said, oh, no, no, no. If we, if we would have known it was you, we definitely would have helped. And Jesus says, if you didn't do it for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of yours, then you didn't, you didn't do it for me. And so he condemns them. And again, our, our question is, what, what's the point of these parables? And the point is, be ready. How do you be ready? You watch. You're watching. 
What does that mean, Bill? That means you're living the way Jesus wants you to live. You're being faithful. You're loving God first. You're putting, you're seeking the kingdom first, as he says in Matthew 6, 33. Um, you've, you're denying yourself and taking up your cross and following Jesus um, and, and doing that, living that way every single day. And here he says a part of that means that you're concerned for others. What does it mean to love your neighbor as yourself? It means to don't, don't ask if they're the Lord or not. Don't ask if they're a person of power and authority or not. Don't ask if they will have a way to reward me or not. If, if there's a need and we're able to help and it's the right thing to help, let's do it. Let's do it. That's what Jesus says. And when you do that for the least of these people that you see in your world, then we're doing it for Jesus. I think the amazing thing to me about this last story, especially the sheep and the goats, is the standard of judgment. If I were going to tell a parable today about what's, what's going to be the deciding factor as to who gets in and who doesn't, it probably wouldn't have been these things. But that's what it was for Jesus. And I think that's what it needs to be um, for us as well. Okay, Matthew 23, 24, and 25. We did it. We did it in an hour. Um, and what, what, why was that so important, Bill? Because next week we'll talk about the most important event in all of history. The betrayal, the denials, the abandonment, the accusations, um, the conviction, the beatings, uh, the crucifixion, the words from the cross, the burial, the empty tomb, and the call that we have because all of those things happened. I'm looking forward to sharing that with you next week and to uh, finishing up this great study of the book of Matthew. And as we've said all day today, I really hope that, um, that we don't get that chance. I would love nothing more than for Jesus to return before then. But should he not, we'll keep doing what we're, we're doing. We'll keep serving. We'll keep loving. We'll keep living faithfully in obedience to the word of God. And we'll keep watching. God bless you as you do those things.